Rudyard Kipling stands 85 years after his death as a rediscovered literary giant. His rediscovery is conditional, however. He's viewed as a stunningly versatile writer with verbal and expository skills which can still amaze us. His tone is timeless and if read today, his ability to convey exactly what he intended is remarkable. In 1907, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature, the first writer in English to be so honoured. He was a journalist, a short story writer, a poet and a novelist. He was born in India, which inspired much of his work. His use of language can be seen in some of the phrases that he has left us. The white man's burden is probably the best known for a variety of reasons, most of them bad, but lest we forget. And it's clever, but is it art? Are reminders of his ability to distill an idea into a pithy statement. His reputation as a writer rests on more substantial evidence than a collection of quotable quotes, however. His stature flows from his breadth and his versatility, his ability to simplify the complex, and his remarkable ability to speak directly to the reader. But his reputation is tied to, and it's diminished by, his apparently racist, misogynistic, and jingoistic language. His views are undoubtedly those of the society in which he lived, and they also reflect the times, which could be described as being at the high point of Britain's empire period. Is it fair to judge a writer by the standards of a later century? Although it's a hot-button issue and has been for 50 years, I would like us to see Kipling as a creature of his time and his work has been deeply reflective of his place in society and of his sense of belonging to and pride in that society. He was writing for the British reader during Queen Victoria's reign and Britannia did indeed rule the waves. Kipling was Anglo-Indian, a term that was then used to describe an ethnic, ethnic Englishman who had lived and worked in India for most of their lives. The terms changed its meaning over time and it now means Indians of mixed Indian and English heritage. It was a small and self-conscious minority and although it enjoyed almost unlimited privilege and power, it was figuratively riding the tiger. India, after the rebellion or better known as the mutiny of, 19, of 1857 and the savage retribution which was rained down upon the Indian population by a vengeful British army had emerged into a period of relative peace and unprecedented prosperity. The British government had replaced the East India Company in administering India, but the empire's fabric was stretched very, very thin and the forces of Indian self-determination and rising nationalism were gathering strength. Many felt that it was only a matter of time before the country exploded again. Kipling's oeuvre is dominated by that India. It is difficult to define his relationship with the country, the culture or the people. There is no single Kipling position on India. In fact, each story will differ and within stories, the tone or voice and even the attitude to aspects of India will change. And Kipling's voice was surprisingly nuanced especially when it described human emotion. 
he is able to make the specific represent the universal. To accept that Kipling is writing of and within his time and place does not invalidate his vision. If you read him for the beauty of his language and the style of his writing, but you excise the politics or the social attitudes, you'll be in danger of losing the essence of Kipling's work. You'll miss out on the legitimate and hard-earned insider's view which informs all of his writing. You will also lose a true historical voice. Of course, we are able to read and study Kipling's work with the benefit of over a century of hindsight. Kipling's reputation in 1891 was very different to that with which we struggle today. In 1989, Mark Paffard wrote that in 1891, Kipling was seen almost universally as being at the source, as being able to provide a tremendous insight into Indian life. It is perhaps surprising to us now, but at 23 years of age, Kipling was seen as his second Dickens. He was a prodigy, knowledgeable, patriotic, very readable and decent. His accessibility was the very key to his popularity and allowed him to persuade, entertain and offer his personal view. His children's books, such as the Jungle Books, are universally deemed to be classics and his collections of short stories offer a, a remarkable range of subject matter from tales of British soldiers struggling with life in India to supernatural horror tales. His Kim is a spy story with a 12-year-old boy as the hero. Kipling intended to convey specific historic understandings of both the period and the place, and he was highly successful in doing so. His favoured protagonist is a well-loved technocrat, the Indian civil service man, who stands between chaos and order. He's competent, wise, decent, manly, and above all else, protective. He will sacrifice himself although he often feels neglected and abandoned. He will not complain, but he will criticise from within. He will listen to the demagogues and the liberals, but he knows better in his heart of hearts what is best for the country. It's a difficult decision reading someone with such a controversial reputation. Should we judge him on our standards and miss out on a rare artist's work, or should we approach him with an interest in his artistry taken with a good dose of scepticism when it comes to the social commentary. I would read the work and judge for myself. I think it is worth the journey. And there, there is no best place to start. All of Kipling's work reflects his sublime skills with words and with narrative.